When I write a book, I don't have a question, decide what to say, and then sit down and write the answer. I answer the question by writing the book. I really do think that writers and other makers, like I, I think with my hands, I find out what I think and believe by writing it down. Welcome to the Habit Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest, a columnist for Christianity Today, and one of my favorite authors. Her new book is Prayer in the Night. It's a meditation on this prayer from Compline, a liturgy to be said before retiring for the night. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Tish Harrison Warren, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast today. Yeah. I love listening to this podcast, by the way. Oh, good. I I actually am a listener. Oh, good. Well, I am so excited about your new book, Prayer in the Night. Um. And it came along for me at, at just the right time. Um, you know, my dad died very recently. And um, and your book has been a, a, just a great comfort to me. Um, so thank you for that. Um, well, I'm very grateful to hear that. Yeah, it's, so you're, you are, the, the, um, the basis of this book is, or the sort of the organizing principle of this book is a prayer from Compline, um, mm-hmm. a nighttime prayer. Um, so, which really is sort of, it's a catalog of human vulnerabilities, as, as you say, or you say something along those lines in your, in your book. Um, so let's start there. When you describe this book, how do you, how do you describe it? Yeah. That's been really hard, actually. They <laughs> IVP told me to film. They they wanted me to like do an elevator pitch for the book, mm-hmm. the book in thirty seconds, and that uh-huh. that was actually kind of tough for me because I see it as different. It's like a tapestry with kind of different different um, themes woven through it, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully coherence is brought um, because those themes. Are, are interpenetrating they deeply relate to each mm-hmm. other like vulnerability and suffering obviously mm-hmm. relate to each other nighttime yeah. and vulnerability and suffering um but also through this prayer i mean this prayer is kind of the, the lattice that gives that this book can sort of grow up around mm-hmm. um but i would i would say in general that the book is about um in the midst of our deep vulnerability in the midst of the reality that God doesn't keep bad things from happening to us. Um, So if we can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to us, then how do we trust God? And um, the whole book sort of wrestles with that um, through this lens of, of the human vulnerability and the prayer, this prayer. Um, But I'd say, um, we come to continue in the way of Jesus in the midst of suffering and vulnerability through the story given to us by the church and the, and these practices given to us 
to the church. And so um, the book is sort of uh, trying to, I guess, excavate the, um, the story of the gospel and also these Christian practices that hold together the reality of human vulnerability unflinchingly and also the hope of, of that we have in Jesus. You draw a distinction between the, the, you know, real vulnerability and a kind of the fashionable vulnerability, you know, whereby Mm -hmm. we, you know, I don't know, on Instagram show, uh, show a picture of a messy desk and say in my life, you know, yeah. It is a yeah. messy. I don't know. You know messiness and, and, and beauty, and but you're talking about vulnerability. We're not even, you know, choosing to be vulnerable, but just acknowledging that we are vulnerable, that we get right. and that we that we get weary and we and we suffer. Yeah, yeah. So I talk about there's this, I quote um, uh, Saint Isaac. Uh, I can't. Uh, um, the Syrian, possibly? The, yeah, Isaac, I, I think that's right. Um, St. Isaac the Syrian or something. Who says, blessed is the man who knows his weakness, right? And from from this realization, um, but every good thing, I think, including salvation, grows. So um, that's not an exact quote. This is all from memory. But, uh, <laughs> but I um, talk about in that there is kind of a curated... You know, no one wants their Christian leaders or writers or public figures to be kind of too put together right now. So there, there is a little bit of a curated vulnerability where I'm going to, I mean, I, I've seen that. I mean, I've seen this exact language used as like, I want to sort of leverage intimacy for, um, uh, uh, to connect with my audience or to, to, to find a platform or whatever. And I am very skeptical of that sort of idea. And so the book I'm saying, it's not a book about kind of, Oh, I'm so messy. Like, you know, whatever. My, my kids never have socks that match. I mean, which is absolutely true. My kids never have socks that match, but, and, um, Oh, I'm just not, especially in sort of, this is in general, I think, but especially there's kind of a genre of like, female lit that's just sort of like, "Ah, I'm a mess. Uh, And I wanted to say, you know, when we're talking about the like vulnerability, which, you know, I define in the book as like, it comes from the word in Latin um, to, to wound. Right. And so it's woundable. We're, we're woundable. Um, And so, um, yeah. So I, I want to say, the deepest vulnerabilities in our life, um, particularly in that chapter, because I'm talking about our weariness, like our limits, right? Mm-hmm. Is um, they're kind of embarrassing, and yeah. and and there are things that we would only want to trust to the closest of friends and to the closest people in our life, and like that seems to me to be the good stuff. Like in the sense that that's really where we encounter our true weakness. That's really where we encounter. God, um, that's really where we can open ourselves to be loved by other people. Mm-hmm. But it's in those places that are way too risky to share broadly. So if it makes us cooler, or helps our platform, or is good material for you know the 
our latest blog post, then it's 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 not that there's nothing of vulnerability in that, but that in some that's not really the vulnerability I'm, I'm t- that I think is most um, transformative to or most um, uh, transformative isn't the word because the stuff that I'm talking about is unbidden. It's not it's not yeah. something that we we cultivate exactly, but it's it's yeah. kind of the stuff that's most most honest. I think. Yeah. I, I love you say at one point in your book to trust God in our vulnerability is to willingly enter a lifelong exercise, becoming attuned to what blessing truly is and how often, how it is often found in the last place we look for it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think what you're talking about is this idea that I'm going to let go of, of what I, my notion of what the good life is or what blessing is and, and align myself with the truth that, that the good life and blessing are what God says say they are. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's about a sort of change of imagination that suffering and um, vulnerability bring in us. I mean, I actually don't, I don't, I'm going to tell you a story that I don't tell in the book because I didn't, couldn't figure out how to sort of tell it well. But I, when, there was a time when, um, when our son that we lost in miscarriage, which I, I do talk about in the book, where, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't know that we would lose him in miscarriage, but, but there was a, a, if he was born, there was a chance that he would be, have severe needs, like to, to be um, medically um, impaired, really, his mm-hmm. whole life. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that wasn't long. It was only like a week or two, um, but we had to sort of think, think through what that would mean for our life. And what I found in that time is um, I have, I can have such a, um, man, I, I just have such a death grip on like my own version of kind of the American dream, my own sort of imagination of what the good life mm-hmm. looks like, mm-hmm. which is so, um, so shaped, even though, even though I'm a pastor and I love Jesus, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't look like the person of Christ. It doesn't have that much suffering in it. It's so shaped by like a consumer vision. And I didn't know that about myself because it's not a normal, it's not like I, I didn't want a big house. I didn't want a lot of money. I didn't want a lot, but the idea of freedom for me, Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. ability to, you know, sit in a coffee shop and read a book or go on a hike. It's, it's much more sort of hippie version of the American dream. Like I just want, <laughs> I just want, you know, like a, a lot of hiking and freedom and like, you know, um, it's so ease. I think, um, mm-hmm. ease was a part of it, but it just realized like, Oh my goodness. Like my imagination of what, what joy looks like or goodness or the good life looks like, um, has been so shaped by a thousand things that make it that when I'm faced with, with ease being lost or freedom being lost, mm-hmm. um, I, it just shows me how, how much the, the idea that I have in my head of what abundant life looks like is so, um, it, it honestly very different than what Jesus's life looked mm. like. Um, yeah. and so it shows me that what, what I think of is, as the blessed of, of being blessed, um, it might not be, you know, a Mercedes or a, or a 
you know, designer purse, it's, it would never be those things. I would lose the designer purse. I would forget it somewhere, but, uh, but it, it's its own kind of, it's my own sort of self-made fantasy yeah. Um, yeah. that really has not, and well, I guess the better way of saying this is it just showed me how much my own imagination has been unconverted, that, that yeah. there's so much of my imagination that's not been um, converted. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to mock the hashtag blessed thing, you know, when it's people talking about their vacations, mm-hmm. but we have our own notions, as you said, uh, of uh, what the good life is that there are. Yeah, you, you, nobody's going to mock you for wanting to sit in a coffee shop and, and hike. <laughs> right. But, you know, on the other hand, I, mean, I, I love what you're, what you're saying, this, this acknowledgement that, that we have our own, rather than conforming ourselves to, um, you know, God's notion of, of abundance, we say, here's my checklist of abundance. And, and aren't I good for not having a, a, um, a uh, designer purse on my list? So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Right. Um, so, uh, as you know, this is a podcast about writing and at the risk. I mean, you're talking about things that go much deeper than writing. But but can you talk a little bit about how coming to terms with your own vulnerability has shaped your writing life and, and your yeah. the way you approach your writing? Yeah. Yeah. So what's funny, um, this is I, I love this podcast for so many reasons, but I but it's because I one of the reasons is it's it's just I love talking about writing. So I love taking these ideas in the book and applying them to this. And you're the only person who asked me this question. And I've been oh. on podcast. So there's been lots of talk about suffering in general, but not with writing. So I, I love it. Um so I'll just say this, you know, before um my first book came out. Um, I always, this, I'm going to be real. I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable here in that. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I, but I think that I thought, you know, um, what, how am I not going to like get a big head with having a book out? You know, how am I not, how, like, I got worried that it would be this sort of like prideful thing or whatever. Yeah. And then when my book actually came out, I realized, Oh, that's not the experience at all. The experience of the book coming out is not, oh, look at me. I have this book coming out. It's getting, I'm naked on a stage now. I mean, it's this deeply humbling, um, vulnerable uh, risk of putting yeah. yourself out there. It, it, it doesn't, to me anyway, it, I mean, I'm super, super grateful for what I get to do. I'm so grateful I get to write. So great. I mean, Liturgy of the Ordinary has had a lot of success and it allows me to, you know, eat and write at the same time. So um, so I'm grateful, but it it um it uh, it feels less like um I don't know, like a, a, con- a summoning a mountain or something, and more like um it, it it is. I know this analogy is so overused, but but I I'm going to use it, and I feel like I can because I'm the mother of three children. But it is more like birth, and that mm. there's this like deep weakness that you have to sort of enter into to to and and to literally you know open yourself up to bring this thing in the world and. And just like with your children, you are 
well aware of the beauty of it, probably more than other people, but you're also well aware of the weakness uh, mm-hmm. uh, of, of this thing that you've made. Um, and so um, that's one thing I think just to continue. And I feel this a lot actually, as well as a, I'm a columnist now for Christianity today um, oh, and for in the, so sort of have to walk into these cultural spaces, which are sometimes very heated um, and put myself out there by saying something, it's an absolute gift. Like I really do love it, but it always feels exposed to me. It always yeah. has a level of vulnerability. Um, and there's um, almost always, um, more so with my column than my books, but still there's, there's criticism that comes back. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then I, I think there's also, I mean, I wouldn't be the first person to point this out. Um, but there is something about, um, there is a reality of suffering and writing, right? There's, yeah. there's the zone that you get in when everything goes well and life is looking good. And, um, and, and you, you write and it comes and it's beautiful, but we're always sort of hoping for that. And there's lots and lots of times where that's, where that's not the case. And so you, it's constantly, I, I do think of creating anything as this, it's almost an embodiment of holding um, the already and not yet together mm-hmm. that, that there's, we are, getting to participate in this beautiful uh, gift of putting something out in the world. I mean, human words themselves are um, this incredible gift that, that we get to, I mean, and I, and I get to write about these eternal things about God, like it's such a gift. And yet, um, so, so I think what I'm saying is there's always this kind of vision of beauty, goodness, and truth, and we can see it in the distance, right? And we, and so we're reaching for that reality and what we're making, what we're writing, whether it's a poem or a, well, the kind of writing I do or a story, we're reaching for something that's transcendent, good, true, beautiful, dramatic, says something true about humanity and God, um, but then we also, at the same time, are experiencing the not yet because we never quite get there. Like our, yeah. our uh, reach always um, exceeds our grasp. Is that the right word? But I don't know. Good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then um, that we, that there's always a sense of man, like we, um, we, there are, there's thorns and thistles. Like there, there, I, I can't it's like leaf by the Tolkien's leaf. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, that there, we never, I think we never sort of, at least I've never gotten and said, Oh man, like the, this, this book is just, just as good as I would like it to be just as beautiful, you know, every, so there's always sort of a, um, there's, I think there's always like a, I don't know if lament is too strong of a word, but the, the, our work, I, I mean, I talk about this in the book, but I think our work itself will need to be redeemed, right? Like, our, the it's fallen. Like, we don't, yeah. we don't create perfect things, and so, um, so living in that tension, um, 
is real. But then also just the suffering of like, man, it's a hard day. Writing's going badly. I don't feel like doing this. My kids are screaming downstairs. This is, you know, I can't work like this. Um, so uh, I think there is there's suffering in, in all of that as well. That is just um, part of the process. When you talk about your reach exceeding your grasp, um, would you say that has more to do with, I've got these big ideas that I can't put into words, or is it, I know there are some big ideas, there's better ideas than the ones I'm thinking. So for me, it's both. It's that I constantly feel like, uh, man, I wish I could do, if I, I wish I could know more, I wish I could, wish I could read more. I wish, I wish I could get another degree. I wish I could, you know, there's it, but there's also like, I, I wish I could write better. I wish I could, um, um, I mean, I, I, it's a good thing. I think I, I have a hunger to grow in the craft. Um, but, but I also think, you know, um, I don't know, like maybe I, I this is a hard um, experience for me to articulate, but I feel like there is a vision of beauty in, in writing and truth, um, that I'm always reaching for, but never quite getting at. And, um, and I think some of that is, you know, I read, I read other, have you ever read other folks and it's so beautiful and you think, ah, this is just painful. Cause I, I, I want to write like this and I can't, but it's also, um, I think that um, some of it is, like I said, there are those moments where I, I mean, I've, I've been writing and like weeping while I'm writing because I feel like God, like the, I I'm writing things I don't know. There's more truth going on the page yeah. than I have. Right. And so yeah. there, it's this kind of beautiful, like moment of like, man, there's something happening here that's outside of me, right. even that I'm willing to participate in. But there's also a time where I think that i that you were always sort of longing for that. And there's times where that's not there. And so yeah. there's a frustration um, of that, I think. And then, I mean, I also just think, especially when I'm talking about the mysteries of God, like there's just things that are beyond words yeah. and there's things that are just not going to be able to be said. Um, and, 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 and I am, I'm a, like first order lover of words and think the words are very powerful, but I think, um, I think there is a reason where like, you know, the, he- the heavens go silent is, um, yeah. before, before the glory of God is there, there is parts of glory that are just unreachable. But I also, so I, I think I heard, I, this could be completely made up. I have no idea, but someone told me once that, that um, Japanese artists, like a, the ancient Japanese artists would say that they intentionally put um, imperfection in their work because nothing, the sight of heaven should be perfect. And I thought, yeah. well, that just seems like a good excuse for me for the imperfections in our work. Cause I've never had to intentionally put imperfection <laughs> right. in my work. Like that just yeah. happens naturally for me. It's, <laughs> yeah. That's never been an yeah. intentional thing. And so, um, there is like, I mean, I, I like this book. This is a good book, but if you give me this book six months from now and, and told me I could re-edit it, I, I would definitely do that. Sure. And six months later, I probably yeah. would re-edit again. Like for me, yeah. my editor always has to sort of like take the book out of my 
clenched knuckles and say <laughs> yeah. like time to let this thing go. Cause I yeah. could, I could compulsively edit. Cause I do think there's sort of a, um, a desire. It's just the book comes at a moment of time and there's always sort of more to say. There's yeah. always more to say. Yeah. yeah. I read the uh, audio books for my, uh, you know, my Wilder King stories. And, you know, those were what, 10, 10, more than 10 years old when I, when I read them and it, it was just, it was painful, you know, to, to read back through and, and resist the temptation to edit as I went along, you know, and sometimes I did, I would just sort of change a sentence that just wasn't, wasn't right. The- I, I never read my work after it's published. Really? I can't do it. It's too, uh-huh. it's, um, yeah, I can't do it. I mean, I really don't. <laughs> I read it a thousand times before then. Yeah. But then I don't, I don't. That's funny. Yeah. I'll go back and read, I'll go back and read old things. I, I think my jokes are funny. And I mean, you know, cause I thought they were funny the first time. I think they're funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that, that I'm, I've been thinking about is you've been talking about these ideas of, of your reach being beyond your grasp and coming to terms with your own limitations, which I guess is another way of saying your own vulnerabilities is as you come to to grips with those limitations, you also hopefully open yourself up to something that's beyond your capability. Right? Yeah. And so, and you, you do early in, in your book, you quote um, Madeline Lingle talking about the good work of art is more and better than the artist. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I believe that so strongly. And you, mm-hmm. you've already touched on this, the idea that sometimes you're, you're writing, you're making something and you realize this is better than I can do. Yep. That this Absolutely. is beyond me. And I'm participating in a mystery that's that's beyond me. And um and I, I again I, I think um there's so much about what you're doing in this book that speaks to that. You know, whether that's you know, you, you have the chapters on uh sleep or uh, uh, yeah, what one of the clauses in the prayer is you know watch over those who sleep or I'm not, give, not sure give your angels on. charge over those who sleep. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And and the the realization that as we sleep, we are opening ourselves up. I mean, we're acknowledging that that part of what it means to be human is to to let go of control. Yeah, and that seems so important. Yeah, and and it is interesting that it is part. I think of the work of writing. I mean, someone um, interviewed me for a podcast recently, and and sort of we were talking about this question of, you know, how, how do you trust God if you can't trust God for bad things happening? And he said, like, so, you know, like, what was your answer kind of thing? And I was like, I didn't have, I didn't have an answer. And, and he said, well, then how'd you write the book? And I really, I realized, oh, no, 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 that I don't, when I write a book, I don't have a question, sit down, totally come up with the answer, write it in outline form, decide what to say, and then sit down and write the answer. I, I answer the question by writing the book. Like I had, this was part, I mean, part of the way I understand this book is it was a, it was a book. I I didn't want to write this book. I I actually was sitting down to write a different book and, Mm. and ended up sort of having, having feeling like I had, I had to write this book. Um, and part of that for me was that um, this was the question I was avoiding. I, what I was wrestling with was how to trust God, and this and it was it was a question I was using all kinds of things from distraction to theology to like mm-hmm. get around and not have to deal with. And so um, 
it really took me writing 70, 80,000 words on this, reading a ton on this, and then taking those 70, 80,000 words and editing them and changing them and, and um, down to about 40,000, then sending that to an editor, having them interact with it, get back to me with questions and changes. I, I had to go through that whole process to be able to, uh, where I feel, I feel settled I, to be able to learn to trust God again, honestly, and to be able to sort of um, know truth that I didn't know. I, I really do think that writers and other makers, like I, I think with my hands, so I don't uh-huh. decide. And Ling, Ling, Madeline Lingle talked about this too. I don't decide what to say and then write it down. I, 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 I find out what I think and believe by writing it down. If yeah. that makes sense. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it, so it is an act of faith to launch into a book when you don't know what the answer to these questions are. Yeah. Yes. It was torture. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, you know, they talk about sitting in front of the page and or bleeding on the page. I mean, it, it did feel like, man, I just, I have to just walk into all these questions. I, I mean, I knew that. I, I knew the ultimate answer was Jesus. Right. But, mm-hmm. but it can, you can't just write Jesus like it in the, you know, second grade yeah. Sunday school answer and that be it. And I didn't want to, what they, the kids call Jesus juke this, where you, avoid, <laughs> where you just sort of avoid the question by making yeah. a shallow kind of pat answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to go into sort of all of my confusion, which is why I ended up, that's why I use this prayer. Um, yeah. There's a lot of reasons I use this prayer, but the ultimate reason I think is that it, for me, it couldn't be like, I, I was figuring this out. I was exploring this. And so it, the, to explore this question, I needed an outside guide, which was this prayer. And I needed something that wasn't just like, here's going to be the sort of philosophical, cognitive, theological answer for what theologians call theodicy how can god be good and 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 powerful and and there be suffering and and tragedy in the world um and because i already had that i mean i had i have a seminary degree i've been ordained Mm -hmm. i can answer this question um i needed a way into the the emotional reality of this question, the um, pain that this question brings, mm-hmm. um, and also the um, just the complexity of it. Um, like you talked about with the um, bringing up how vulnerable joy itself is. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have gotten there on my own. I don't think that if mm-hmm. I was just sort of sitting in a room pontificating about my thoughts on suffering, I would have, or, or human vulnerability, I would have come to that. And so it was really through having, having to do, I mean, I basically meditated on this prayer for two years of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was through that meditation that I think my heart was able to um, know things and trust God in a way yeah. that I didn't before. Um, yeah. 
we weren't yeah. actually recording when I talked about joy, but 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 what we oh. what we said before what I said before we started recording was that I was really interested in in this insight that on our list of human vulnerabilities, joy is one of those. Um, yeah, one of those vulnerabilities. Um, and as you said, it it was this this prayer that you didn't write. Yeah, uh, that that you were borrowing somebody else's words. Um, and that gave you, made it possible for you to have these, these insights that, that are your insights, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not that you, you know, I, you know, I'm not discounting the fact that you had insights, but you had insights because you were borrowing somebody else's words and someone else's structures. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, this insight, it's, you know, common the insight comes from standing on the shoulders of others. Yeah. And this was the shoulders that I stood on. And this yeah. is partly, I mean, I joke of about, um, you know, part of the reason that I'm an, Ang- I could only be an Anglican priest or pastor and nothing else is that, um, we get to cheat off the smart kids papers. We get, you know, we get, <laughs> yeah. we get a crib sheet from all of those who've gone before us. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like I have to, you know, drum up profundity every week. Right. I mean, yeah. there's a sermon, but, um, but even if I bomb the sermon, you know, there's, there's, there's this whole, there's this whole other structure around me that the, the gospel will be stated. It will be told. Yeah. Um, and so I get to, I get to cheat. I get to, I get to look over on the, on the, like I said, on the smart kids. Yeah. Look, peek well, at what they're doing. So you, we're, we're about to run out of time, but I, I, but I really want to talk about, even if we do run out of time, I still want to talk about this. Um, and that's the idea that, you know, you point out that, that so often we think of, especially in sort of Western Christianity, whatever, we think of prayer as self-expression. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes we are freestyling it. And fine. But you, but you make the point that, uh, that self-expression is not the only or even the most important uh, thing about prayer. And so, you know, when we borrow the prayers of the ancients, um, you know, that's a, that's a really helpful, you know, those habits that shape us rather than, rather than our, um, somehow, as you said, drumming up profundity. Um, but I'm also wondering, does that give us any clue about writing and creativity? Because we, we do think of writing and creativity as self-expression, perhaps even more than we think of prayer as self-expression. Yeah. That's really interesting, actually. I haven't thought about that. Um, well, Tish, if you had read the questions I sent you ahead, <laughs> but I told you I didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I think um, I, I like that question a lot. So here's what I'll say. Um, of course, there is. Of course, there is a very real ele- element of self-expression and in writing and all mm-hmm. communication, but that's partly what writing is amazing, right? Is that you can like write down things you think and feel and give them to others. Um, but um, there is a way that, so, so part of what I found in, in prayer is that, um, cause I still kind of like freestyle pray, extemporaneously pray, self-express in prayer mm-hmm. every day. I mean, all the mm-hmm. time. So this is a thing I commonly do, but that having these prayers from others, receiving these prayers, um, 
from the ancient church particularly, but even from, you know, like Doug McKelvey, who was on here last time I was, mm-hmm. I was oh, with yeah. you. But, um, the, the entering into the prayers of the church ends up shaping us. It, it shapes us so that when we even go back into our self-expression, that's different. Because, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, because we've been shaped by these things. And so mm-hmm. I do think there, there needs to be that exchange by right in writing. This is why yeah. we read other people. This is why mm-hmm. reading changes our writing. This is also why I think this is the part where it gets, I might be a little controversial. Um, but I think that, that it's very good to be a student of writing um, before before we we kind of stake our own claim as being a quote-unquote writer. Um, this is what I mean by that. I, I don't mean we shouldn't, you know, ever write until we get a PhD or something and, or an MFA. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I think, I mean, I didn't, I didn't start writing until, um, and I wasn't published. I didn't have much of a writing career really until my thirties. And I, I think there was some goodness in that, you know, Eugene mm-hmm. Peterson wasn't until he was in his forties that he wrote his first book. Oh wow. Jesus you know, wasn't until his thirties that he, he started his public ministry of communication. Um, I think there is wisdom and this kind of doesn't apply to Jesus. That wasn't the best example, but uh, (laughs) uh, with um, of of sort of um, being a student and learning before we're, before we kind of go into the craft. I know this is, I'm not meaning this linearly because, because we learn by writing, by writing. And I really do believe that, but it is something that I worry about with um, like blogging culture. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm a little sometimes skeptical of self-publishing because of this idea that, um, that, that just sort of whenever you're ready to write, you can just sort of put something out there. I think there is something really good in having, I, I think, Here's what I'll say before, certainly before you do spiritual writing, before you have anything theological out there, it is very, very important that you have had the experience of writing something. I had this in seminary, which is why I think seminaries can be a really good thing of writing something that you do deeply believe, turning it in and someone in authority over you saying, this is not good enough or you are wrong or, or you didn't support your point. Well, go back and do it again. Um, because it's easy to think, Oh, well, these are my precious cherished beliefs yeah. and ideas. And yeah. so to have someone outside of you say, it doesn't matter that this is your deep self-expression. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not, it's not up to muster. Go back mm-hmm. and do it. And having that, having to have the humiliation of that, but also that practice of of coming back and 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 reshaping things is just so so important. It's like um, Flannery O'Connor, right? That they asked her, um, "Do <laughs> writing programs discourage too many young writers?" And she said, "Not nearly enough." Right? <laughs> yeah. that, um, there is this idea that we need to kind of have to submit ourselves to, um, others in this, in this craft, um, and be shaped by that. We Mm -hmm. have, we have to be shaped by the input of others. And 
prayer that we there there's a sense where like of course of course we my my three-year-old daughter could pray and her prayers deeply please Jesus so I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we need some sophisticated kind of way of praying and yet the disciples come to Jesus and say teach us to pray Mm -hmm. and he doesn't say you know, you can't be taught. It's just self-expression. You know, three-year-olds can do that. <laughs> there is a sense that my daughter and I, even as a, you know, adult, can continue to grow in prayer. There, And so just with writing, you know, I'm homeschooling this year. My kids are writing it every day. And that's beautiful and good, but they certainly can grow in writing. And so some of that is going to have to be able to, learn from others that are further than you in the craft to be shaped by others, to be shaped by things like, you know, well, here's a structure, you write, write a sonnet and it has Mm -hmm. to fit the structure. Um, But also to be able to say, you didn't support your thought here. Well, or this is a weird Mm -hmm. analogy or Mm -hmm. you didn't use grammar correctly here. Like all of these sort of outside rules are things that in some ways might get in the way of self-expression, but are also, um, the things that shape us so that when we do go into self-expression, again, we can do that in a different way, hopefully a deeper, better uh, way that's, that's formed by community and that's formed by craft, that's formed by a long history of community. Yeah. Um, so I think all of that applies to writing as well. Well, that's great. All right. We're, we're just, we've run out of time, but I still have to ask my traditional last question. Who are the writers who make you want to write? Tish? Yeah. Um, so I gave a really long list last time. So I'll just give a short list this time. It's kind of the same people, but yeah. um, uh, Annie Dillard. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. Um, Heard of him? <laughs> I know. He's so predictable, but I do love him. Um, I love memoir. So Mary Carr, um, and, um, Eugene Peterson. Those are some that make me. Mm -hmm. I agree. Eugene Peterson makes me want to write. Matter of fact, I went and wrote three middle grade novels after Eugene Peterson. Really? Mm -hmm. His book, uh, leap over a wall about, you know, the life of David. Um, I actually, um, okay, it wasn't reading the book. It was hearing this, the sermon series on which the book was based made me go, those are some great stories. And I would like to, I wonder what would happen if some of those stories happened in the swamp. And and then I wrote the Wilder King stories. So, That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. All right, Tish Harrison Warren, as I said, I'm so glad that Prayer in the Night is in the world. And um, so thank you. And um, I hope everybody reads it, like literally everybody who can thank read Thank you. Me too. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. 
More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.